Hey friends, it's Megan. On behalf of the Sorta Awesome team, myself as well as Kelly, Laura, and Rebecca, I wanted to acknowledge that things are very difficult in our nation and in our world right now. In the midst of such fragile times, it can be difficult to know if we should go on making shows that are so intentionally upbeat and positive. We want to be sensitive to the heartbreak many are experiencing, even as we continue to gently encourage you to look for the awesome in the everyday. It is our hope that as we move forward in difficult times, we are no longer simply looking for the awesome around us, but that each of us have in our own way become the awesome that the people around us so desperately need. Thank you for hearing our hearts in this. And now on to this week's episode. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-host and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. This is episode 59 of the show, and our favorite Hollywood housewife, Laura Tremaine, is here with me this week. And well, friends, it is June, and for many decades in our culture, June was wedding season. It's maybe not so much that way anymore, but I was a June bride many moons ago, and because my husband Kyle and I just celebrated an anniversary this week, I have got love and love stories on my mind. So that's what we're going to be talking about this week. Our love stories, our weddings, and even a little bit about marriage. We're going to start on that in just a minute, but first I wanted to remind you that this is the very last week to take our listener survey. We've heard from lots of you who have gone to sortaawesomeshow.com slash survey to tell us your thoughts on the show, but we want to make sure everyone does have a chance to do that. It'll only take a few minutes of your time, and it's going to be so helpful to us as we plan for the future of Sorta Awesome. Again, that's sortaawesomeshow.com slash survey, and thank you again so much for all of your help with this. So, Laura, before we get to our love stories, let's go ahead and start the show the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. What do you have for us this week? Well, first of all, happy birthday week, Megan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, this is always a big week in June with anniversary and birthday and then Father's Day coming up. So yeah, we're celebrating lots over here. And I have a birthday. And you have a birthday too. That's right. (laughs) One of the first things we bonded over was our shared Gemini-ness for sure. So yes, happy early birthday to you. Crazy attracts crazy, I guess. Is that <laughs> that seems right, yeah. What we thought Story back in the day. Out. Okay, everyone. My awesome of the week is Jonathan Gold's one hundred and one best restaurants in Los Angeles. Wow. Yeah. Now this seems a little bit specific to the LA crowd, but I really think it ties into everyone else. But first, I do want to talk about the actual list that came out in the LA Times. It actually came out at the end of 2015. I think he does these about once a year. Jonathan Gold is the Pulitzer Prize-winning food critic. He writes for the LA Times. And this list has 101 of the best restaurants all over the city. And we're talking like from very fancy to like walk-up taco stands. I mean, it has like all kinds of things. And my husband, Jeff, and I have been making a concerted effort to go to a lot of them, especially the ones that 
aren't too, too far away from where we live. Just a reminder that Los Angeles is super huge. And so a restaurant that might be like in Santa Monica, for example, would be, you know, at least an hour for us to drive to. So we're mainly hitting the ones that are close-ish to us. Now, why this matters to the awesomes, is why I wanted to tell everyone about it, was because one of my goals for 2016 was to explore more of the city. I've lived in roughly the same neighborhood for the entire 15 years I've been in LA. Megan, can you believe I've been in Los Angeles for 15 I years? I cannot believe it. That's I know, amazing. isn't that crazy? It is, yes. My first apartment was in Hollywood, then I moved to West Hollywood, then I've been back in either Hollywood or just east of it for well over a decade. So like actually Hollywood is a really central part of Los Angeles as far as meaning like the very middle. I can easily go downtown or I can go to the valley or I can go to the beach, but I really don't take advantage of any of that. We kind of stay in our area. So there are lots of things in LA. I'm ashamed to say I've never been to even one time. Like I've never been to the Getty Museum. What? Yeah. <laughs> or or certain beaches. Like there's like all this stuff in LA. I just feel like I don't even take advantage of this amazing American city. So we kind of started with the restaurant thing as a way to like get out there, explore new things. I'm not a super adventurous eater. I am better than I used to be. And having a list to kind of work off of is nice. So it's been really fun. It's sort of like that saying be a tourist in your own city. Yes. So you much know how fun people to say do. that. It is. Yeah. Our family travels a ton and we, and we have no shame when we travel and doing like the super touristy thing. We'll go on like a carriage ride or <laughs> <laughs> see the sights or do like an architecture tour. Like Jeff and I both, we have no, there's no shame in that. Like we like do the touristy things in other cities, mm-hmm. but we just don't do it here. Right. Yeah. So... That is that is what we're working off of. I did look a little bit around and saw that most major American cities have the equivalent of a best restaurants list mm-hmm. or that yes. kind of thing if anyone wants to start. And I also started by going out and, and following on Facebook some of the blogs like Eater LA or different kind of foodie blogs for my city that, you know, often link to the new things, or they do lots of lists, like the best places for donuts, the best place for pizza, whatever. And those are just, it's just been super fun for me. I love that. Um, I think that is one of the great gifts that the medium of blogging has given to us are the hyper-local blogs that really focus in on what is the best in each city. In Oklahoma City, we have a paper called The Gazette that puts out a best of OKC every year. And that is a fantastic way to at least hit the highlights of what hometown people really love about their city. So that's No, I love it. In the last month, Jeff and I have been to like number 12, number 16, number 19, number 20. (laughs) Like we are really like Like checking them off the list. list. Yeah. That's so great. I love it. It's fun. All right. Well, one of the other reasons I suppose I've had love on my mind so much lately is because I have been listening to the best book, Laura, and I am not an audiobook person at all. Oh, me neither. Meh. I'm really not because usually when my earbuds are in, I have a podcast going or I'm listening to music. But I heard from our awesome community so many great things about the audiobook of Carrie Elwes's book, As You Wish inconceivable tales from the making of the princess bride so probably everybody who's listening is familiar with the princess bride it is a classic film that came out in the late 80s 1987 ish i think 
that is, you know, part fairy tale, part pirate adventure, um, <laughs> lots of swashbuckling and kidnapping and an intrigue. And of course, there is a great love story that overarches the whole thing. And it is my first favorite movie and remains to this day, one of my very favorite movies. So Carrie Elwes, the actor who played the iconic role of Wesley, later the Dread Pirate Roberts and the Princess Bride, wrote this book, a memoir of making that movie that has become like, I don't even know if you could call it a cult classic, but it's just like, it's so embedded in our culture that everybody has some experience with that film. So many quotes. So many quotes, so many quotes. In fact, he goes through a list of some of the most quotable quotes from that movie near the beginning of the book. So the story starts with his experience with the actual book written by William Goldman of The Princess Bride and his first experiences with that. And he kind of traces the thread through of how he eventually was scouted for that role of Wesley by uh, Rob Reiner, who directed the film. Um, Rob Reiner and his producing partner, Andy Scheinman, uh, went and personally kind of collected together this cast of who they wanted for all of the, the lead roles. So he really traces that path. If you, and Laura, I think that you would actually love this because he goes into a lot of the sort of, not really technical stuff of Hollywood, but just like um, a lot of the behind the scenes of how movies get made, especially at this moment in time in the late 80s, when Rob Reiner was really starting to put together some really fantastic movies that people were really knowing him more for his directing abilities than his um, his roles as an actor. So, I mean, it tells the story of how um, Carrie Elwes and Mandy Patinkin, who plays Inigo Montoya, had to learn to fence. Like, there's a whole chapter on fencing, and it is so fascinating. And another great thing about this book in audio form, first of all, Carrie Elwes' voice is very enjoyable to listen to. I mean, that makes or breaks an audiobook, right? Like right. who you're listening to, is uh, that is so pivotal. He has a great voice to listen to, and other people who were part of the original cast contributed their little um, contributions to each um, section as it goes along. So, so quite a few of them have come in and read their own contributions to the book. And the thing that I love about it the most, again, I, I'm a longtime fan of The Princess Bride, but I don't even think you have to be as fervent about it as I am. The thing I love the most is you can tell there was so much love and so much tenderness for this movie as a project and, and how it all came together. It's so beautiful, especially from William Goldman, who wrote not only the original book, but also the screenplay for The Princess Bride, how he cared for that script with such devotion, how it almost got made so many different times. And then all of these terrible things would happen where, you know, this production company ended up closing down or whatever, just it came across all of these roadblocks before it got made. And just the tenderness and affection that William Goldman himself had for the story and for the script is so beautiful. And then I just rewatched The Princess Bride. It's on Netflix now. I watched it with my girls. They had seen kind of bits and pieces of it through the years, but this was the first time that we just like piled into my bed and watched it all together. And I got to tell you, the magic holds up for me for sure. Does it? It's been so long since I've seen The Princess Bride. It was so fun to see it through my girls' eyes. And they were very, like at the, you know, the climatic parts where you're like, what's going to happen? They were very much like, wait, what? No, that can't, that can't be right. <laughs> <laughs> so we've had a great time. So anyway, I'm telling you, the audiobook, even if you're not an audiobook person, it is well worth it to check out the audio version of As You Wish by Carrie Ellis. You will love it. I'm telling you. So 
That's very fun. Yes. All right. Let's start our love stories by going back in time to some stories that I was telling Laura before we started recording. I have a really hard time talking about this time of my life without getting to giggling. I don't know why. I just start laughing. There was just a lot of funniness about it, especially the older I get, the more space I have on it the more a lot of this stuff just seems very funny. Like cringeworthy laughing? Yes, it is. But I'm going to try to rein it in and try to act like a professional and a, and a grown-up as well and to be able to talk about some of this. So, so yes, it's true. Kyla and I, we just, we just celebrated our 18-year anniversary, which is sort of um, meaningful to me just in a, um, not a symbolism kind of way, but uh, there's a symmetry to it for me because Kyle and I met and started dating and fell in love when I was 18, 18 years old. And now we've been married for 18 years. It just feels very like full circle for me in this mm-hmm. moment. But Kyle, as much as I adore him, and I'm so thankful for the 18 years of marriage we've had together, was not, he was not my first love. So to meet my first love. We've got to go back in time a little bit before that, back to when I was 14. I was a freshman in high school. Ooh. <laughs> I'm already starting to laugh in my head. Yeah. And also, side note, as I look at my children, my daughter is 11. And I'm like, she's three years out from where I was when I first fell in love. And that actually makes me want to die a little bit. <laughs> it oh just my seems gosh. impossible. I know. Yeah. I know. Okay, so anyway, freshman in high school, I had a really big crush on a guy in our church youth group. We did not go to school together, but we were in the same church youth group. And he, it was not my first love, but I had a really big crush on him. He was this really cute cowboy type. (laughs) And uh, we somehow managed to awkwardly, I'm sure very cringeworthy, Uh, put together a double date, me and this boy I had a crush on and his best friend whose name was Todd. And then Todd was, of course, it was a double date. He was going to bring a date as well. This was many, many, many ages ago before there were cell phones and before we were as closely connected in communication as we are now. And so the two of them show up at my door to pick me up for this double date. And it's just the two of them. Todd's date didn't show up. (laughs) I don't even remember what happened. Or uh, I actually don't even remember what we did, except that it was very awkward because this guy and I were. (laughs) This guy that I. Wait, wait. So Todd's date didn't show. What about that blinks to you hottie as opposed to blinking like. (laughs) Not that. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I was, I mean, you have to remember, I was 14. So I was just sort of like swept up in the thing of like, okay, I guess we're doing this. <laughs> so as it turns out, the boy that I did have a crush on, he and I were, we were not a love connection, Laura. It just did not click. No matter how, how big of a crush I had on him, it just didn't work. But Todd and I, through that whole experience, that shared awkward experience of, a failed double date, um, we maybe kind of noticed each other for the first time. And within a month, Todd and I started dating. So we started dating when I was a freshman in high school. And I would say we fell into love fairly quickly, as quickly as you can, maybe only in that moment in time. Um, we Did just, you not have rules? Like you didn't, so, so were you able to fully date, like go 
off in a car or go whatever mm-hmm. when you were a freshman? I did. And here is a funny thing about that. My parents had, well, I mean, I was, I'm the oldest. And so my parents, I, I have full empathy for them now. They were just kind of making it up as they went along, which I totally get now. Um, they had some uh, sort of arbitrary rules. Like I could only date boys in my church youth group. Huh. If they didn't go to our church, I wasn't allowed to date them. Now, I think that for my parents, there maybe felt like there was like a safety in that or something. Also, because they would because they would then know the other parents conceivably yes. or was it like a belief thing like we believe the same and things. It's probably probably partly the belief thing, but I think more than anything, especially the reason that my parents let me start dating a boy in one-on-one situations when I was 14 is because my parents had known his parents. They had known each other for years and years, like since I was like in preschool. So, I mean, we weren't family friends by any means. My, my dad and and his dad were in the same profession. And so they sort of knew each other as colleagues for many years. So that was that. And so, yes, my parents, um, just sort of very willingly and trustingly were like, you know, they, they, we didn't really have that many rules. I mean, I had a curfew and again, this was before cell phones. So I couldn't, I mean, they really did just trust. Like if we said we were going to a movie, they trusted that we were going to a movie and that maybe was blessing the heart. (laughs) I know there was no tracking. Gosh, that makes me love your parents so much (laughs) and want to give them a hug. I want to give them a hug too. I do. Um, so yes, yeah, so we just clicked. I mean, we did, we had a lot in common. We both really, really liked music. As you all know, I still really, really like music and, and he liked music, music and he picked up the guitar and started learning the guitar while we were dating. So he was kind of this guitar playing soulful kind of guy. Um, so we ended up dating for um, most of my high school. We started dating middle, the middle of my freshman year, and we broke up in the spring of my junior year. Things were not always wonderfully happy the whole time. We had a lot of the ups and downs of teenage romances. But I do, I look back at that now, and I look back at him as a person. I have so much fondness and so much affection for him and for who we were in that moment in time. And, you know, it's funny when you start talking about first loves, because I think we may be tempted to ask the question, like, was I was I really in love? I mean, I was really just a kid. But I have to tell you, Laura, I was listening to a podcast episode with an interview with Rainbow Rowell. It's, it's several years old. The podcast is called The Narrative Breakdown. And she was kind of talking about this young love thing, because as you know, a lot of her stories take place in the context of young adults and that teenage era of life. And she said mm-hmm. something that really stuck with me. She said, I think that we have the biggest capacity for love when we're 16, because when you're 16, you love with every molecule of your being. And that really struck me because as I look back at myself, my high school self and the bigness of the feelings I had about Todd at that time, I I did love him with every molecule of my being. In fact, even for a few years after we broke up, I still thought we would probably get back together and get married someday. Like I just, I just thought this, this could be the one. So wait, when did you break up? the spring of my junior year. Okay. So we broke up then. Um, Wait, why did I just ask this? <laughs> given that I dated him right after you guys broke up. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. He took his broken heart into the arms of my not friend then, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> Small towns are so great. They're so great. 
So I'm going to leave <laughs> off this story there and let you tell your first love story. Todd was not her first love. Everyone can just relax because that would be a little bit even more weird <laughs> than it already was. That would actually be a funny segment. But no, Todd was not my first love. I kind of have, this is a little bit against the rules, but I'm going to break them anyway. I sort of have two first loves. Hmm. And here's why. My my truest of the definition first love, like Rainbow Rowell style, started when I was in the eighth grade and went kind of from eighth grade to freshman year of high school. And he was also in my church youth group. But I think the reason that we really bonded was because I went to a super tiny Bible church and our church youth group had four people in it, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like it was truly, truly like under half a dozen people originally in that youth group. And and he was one and I was one and he was very funny and attractive and we were in middle school and um I don't have anything really profound to say about it other than then like I really fell in love with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though I was also 13, 14 years old, I loved him. Okay. And we had a really unique bond. Like, I feel like I was also his first love. And so I feel like if I were to see him on the street today, we would still like have so much affection for each other. Like it was like the true bond of a relationship. Yes. Yes. You know, like I had had guy friends and, you know, by that time and interacted with boys a ton in my life, of course. But that was the first time I was like, oh, no, we are having like a special connection. And it's really unique and special to both of us. So that was really my like truest, actual, tender hearted kind of first love. When we broke up, he broke up with me. I was devastated. Mm -hmm. Like by that time I was a freshman in high school, by that time I was 14, I sobbed like huge racking in the closet sobs. Gotcha. Yep. It was truly like just crushed me, really did. Yes. Why I say I kind of have two first loves is because I also have a like very Americana version of a high school sweetheart. Sure. Yeah if you will. And that was a different relationship because it was several years later. So I started dating a boy and then we dated for four years. One of the funniest things about it is that his name is Jeff. And so, and eventually my husband's name is Jeff. And so I have been like part of a quote unquote, (laughs) Jeff and Laura for the vast majority of your life, the majority of my life. Yes. Like, those two names together are so normal to me right. um, because I dated my high school, Jeff, my last two years of high school and my first two years of college. And so and we had a, a break, a brief breakup when I kind of went crazy. I had a phase um, our senior year, spring of my senior year and actually went to prom with different people. And that's a whole different story. But In general, we have like a very classic high school sweetheart love where we started dating when we were 16 and uh, went to the same college. And so we made a lot of life changes together. Right. Yes. So that and, and very much loved each other very much. And I think that that relationship and why I'm even throwing it in this category is because that was like my first 
that was like a real relationship. Right. Like that wasn't just about like chemistry or connection or anything. Like we made like hard decisions together and worked through it. And, you know, I mean, so we were together from like ages 16 to 20. That's such a pivotal moment in life, like a singular moment in life. And to have somebody who was consistently there that you were in relationship with during that time. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge bond in and of itself. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, it wasn't a perfect relationship. We definitely had some things that we were constantly working through. And then, of course, ultimately didn't work out for a lot of good reasons. However, he was a good person. He came from a good family. We had, at the time, the same belief system. And so that was like a really good foundation for the big changes we made in our life, you know, finishing high school, going to college, I really felt like I had, you know, like a partner during that time. We did a lot of stuff together and went through a lot of changes together. And, you know, I still see him occasionally. He came to my wedding, you know, with his wife. He was already married. And and I think that we we feel that way about each other. I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but we definitely feel like, wow, like you were a great part of my life. I'm glad we had someone to do that stuff with together. And, you know, I think we wish each other nothing but well. He was an artist, is an artist. He could make things with his hands and he was cute. And um, we went to the same summer camp. Like we just had a lot. We had a lot of compatibility at that time in our life. And it was I I got no regrets on having a long time relationship during those years. You know, I'm the same way, Laura. Like I I think that everybody lands on that in different places. Some people do regret that maybe they spent a lot of their teenage years or whatever, their younger years with the same person. Or maybe, you know, depending on what context you grew up in, maybe you weren't even allowed to date and be that serious about someone during that time. So I can totally agree with you on that, that I am, I feel just very grateful for for that first long span of relationship. And again, because we were like 14, 15, 16, that, that those years for me, there's a lot of growing up in that time too. So so Todd and I did break up. And then, um, of course, their time passed between when he and I broke up. And then when I was in college and met Kyle, I in that time that passed, I dated someone else and got my heart broken, like you were talking about, like the like, cry in the cry into your pillow, like sobbing. And I actually was so devastated over that breakup. That I couldn't eat. Like I had always like kind of read like, oh, I was so sad. I couldn't even eat. Like I was physically ill. I was so heartbroken. That was the summer before my senior year. And then later in life or later in that same span of time, I ended up breaking someone's heart and that was really terrible. So anyway, there was lots of love and drama in the meantime. And then I got to college and of course, you know, kind of was doing the whole freshman spin out that we do as we're on our own for the first time. And I was really on my own because when I was a senior in high school, my parents moved to Pennsylvania for my dad's job and I stayed behind in our hometown so I could graduate from our high school. And then I went to school like an hour from our hometown. I went to college um, an hour away from our hometown. And so my parents were halfway across the country and I also didn't know anybody at the school that I went to. Wow. So yeah, I mean, I had I had a pretty significant spin out in the wake of all of that. But then um, uh, one of my sorority sisters, her name's Christy, and I owe her for all of life for this. She kept pestering me every now and again. I know this guy. He's on the football team. He was on the football team with her boyfriend. I, you guys have so much in common. I just I want you to meet so badly. And I just 
again, I was putting her off. I was trying to kind of get my feet on the ground in a lot of ways. So finally, in early winter of my freshman year, I went to an FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, meeting on our campus. I have never been an athlete, but at that moment in time when you wanted to kind of get together with other people of the same, you know, sort of faith tradition or whatever, FCA was a great place to meet people, <laughs> whether you were an athlete or not, which I was not. But this cute football player was there and I was um, in a small group with him and he started talking about some stuff and I was like, wait, he's really cute and he can talk about Jesus. So maybe I should get this guy a second chance and really, you know, see what Christy has been seeing in us that she wanted to matchmake for us. So I had told her I wanted to invite him to our upcoming Kayo Valentine's Mixer. So we kind of all worked it out. It was going to be a double date with my friend Christy and uh, her boyfriend and then Kyle and me. He called to ask me if I wanted to go on this double date. And the first time that we talked on the phone, we talked for an hour solid conversation. And I remember vividly that when I hung up the phone, I was in my dorm room, I went into my suite mate's room. And I told my suite mate, I think I'm going to marry that boy. And that was it. That was it for me. So yeah, so needless to say, we did end up going on that double date. And it was so wonderful. And it actually it totally redeemed my earlier double date fail <laughs> from high school. So that's nice. And so we dated for uh, through all of our college years, we ended up getting engaged within that first year when we started dating. And then we had a super way too long engagement. <laughs> Wait, how long? It was like, okay, so for the time we got engaged, it was a year and a half of being engaged. Oh, that is too long. It's way too long. <laughs> For so many reasons, uh -huh. that is just wrong. It was wrong. But that's what we did. And then we got married right before our senior year of college. So the rest is definitely happy history from there. So yeah, that was how we met and fell in love all those years ago. And he's very cute. He's still very cute. He looks very different now than he did. But I can honestly say, I tell him this all the time, and he does not uh, he does not know what to make of this, but I definitely tell him all the time, he is better looking now. He is one of those people who has the genes to get better looking with age, and I really lucked out in that. I feel like people don't even know how cute he is because he's not on oh social media. He doesn't really... Oh, you guys. show pictures of himself. I know there may be people who are listening right now who are like really skeptical, like I'm not 100% sure Megan's even married, because I've never seen her <laughs> husband ever. <laughs> Would that be weird or what if you were pretending to have a husband all this time? <laughs> That would be very weird, but I can assure you that he is very real. He is just intensely private. That is one area. We have a lot that we have in common. We have a lot of ways that we're very different. Obviously, I'm okay with putting life out into the public sphere, but he's very private. And I do try to respect that. So your track in life took a lot different direction because you packed up and moved to Los Angeles after college. And so it was a little while before you and Jeff were able to connect. Yeah, I had a lot of dating experiences. So high school boyfriend Jeff and I broke up the beginning of my sophomore year of college. And we had had sort of a break somewhere in there as well. And, and I had dated a few people at the very end of high school. And then we got back together and went to the same college and had those important seasons together. And then when we broke up, I dated several more people in college. 
and had a couple of serious relationships, actually. I have been in love multiple times, and I actually am really glad for all of those experiences. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I got them out of my system a little bit because then I moved to Los Angeles and didn't date anyone for years. (laughs) Really? Yeah, it was so funny because, and by funny, I don't mean it was funny at all. Like, (laughs) I had been in love and had these really kind of beautiful romances that meant a lot to me and these big stories and all this multiple times between the time I was 14 and the time I was 22. And then I moved to Los Angeles and I could not snag a man to save my life. I mean, I could not date. Interesting. Isn't that weird? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's just really, it's really, really different out here. Dating in LA, I just don't think I could, I could definitely couldn't do it now. I couldn't do it when I was 22. Mm-hmm. I had one guy that I sort of hung out with. We were both working on the same project. And so that became kind of a showmance is what they call it. Like some something that when you're just together during the duration of the show and then it's right. over. Yeah. I sort of had that with somebody, but other than that, like I just found dating in Los Angeles to be next to impossible. I don't like meeting people out at like clubs. I don't like, I don't know, any of the traditional ways in the early 2000s that you would have met someone. Like I just was not into meeting people that way. And then when I did meet people, they just did not match my values. I did no chemistry, like nothing. Like I just, I, I hated dating in Los Angeles. But (laughs) I had a really cute boss. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so that was fun to look at for a while. He is a lot older than me. My husband is 13 years older than me. So my original crush on him was so unattainable. Like it was like having a crush on a teacher. Like it was just, it was fun. I thought he was, you know, very attractive and everything. But it was not like something I considered to be like a real thing. It was like, you know, I met Jeff. I'd I'd been in Los Angeles about six months. I'd had my first job on a little MTV special and that producer was going to make Jackass and he asked me to come with him. Um, And so I met Jeff for the first time and we were in this little tiny studio, the Jim Henson studio on La Brea. And surrounded by Muppets was the Jim Henson studio. Uh And I saw this man and he looked homeless. (laughs) He had long, dirty, greasy hair (laughs) with a dirty hat on. Uh He had that on like a coat that was very old. Like he just, he did not look like... He was about to make a major motion picture at Paramount. And I came home to my roommate at the time. And I was like, I met my new boss today. And um, he's very dirty. And she still remembers that because, of course, now we wake up together every day. (laughs) So we did not hardly talk again after that first meeting, even though I went on to work on his movie and had worked on it for a good four months before the man spoke to me. And this is a tiny crew. So he really had to, like, go out of his way to not (laughs) talk. To avoid you. Yeah. To the like 22 year old blonde at the front desk, you know, popping along. He was, could not have been less interested. Like truly he was like so uninterested. He thought I was like a child. (laughs) And then I begged and begged and begged to go on one of the shoots. At that point I'd been on the movie for 
four or five months and had been on some of the shoots that shot here in Los Angeles, but had not been on the road with these guys making the movie. And so I begged and begged and begged to go. So I went on this sort of long trip um, where we were shooting in Florida. And on that trip is the first time Jeff really spoke to me. I was sitting in a van taking a break. I was the lowest rung on the ladder. Like I was a production assistant who had to like get everybody water, run all the errands. Like I was like total gopher. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was taking, you know, having a break or lunch break or something. And I was sitting in the van. We were shooting this big kind of crazy big scene for the movie. And on my lunch break, I was in the production van reading Anna Karenina. Mm-hmm. As you do. And as you do. I, I super love Russian lit. And he came over and he was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Literally, what? Like, what are you doing? Because this is the Jackass set, and you <laughs> reading Anna Karenina, and these things like do not match. Right, right, right. And so we started talking, and then um, that night at the bar, after everyone went out after the end of the day, we talked some more, and we just started a really, really great friendship. And then we were friends for like two years after that. So we still did not date until much, much later. And then, um, once we started dating, I mean, basically the night that we decided to start dating, I knew we were going to get married. Oh, well, that's interesting. So were you like, were you already in love with him when you guys started dating? Did that come later? I mean, I know you'd been friends for a long time, but, but that's super interesting that you already had a feeling that you wanted to marry him. I was definitely in love with him. I think I had been in love with him for a while by the time we started dating, even though before um, we sort of pledged our affection to one another, <laughs> I don't know how else you say it, before the night we acknowledged that we had feelings for one another, uh-huh. we had not so much as like held hands, pecked on the cheek, like literally nothing. Mm-hmm. But I was very much in love with him. I can't say for sure because he was in a, just in a different situation in sort of a different place in life. I think he was on his way. Well, I mean, I know he was on his way because he wouldn't have dated me if he if his feelings weren't already strong enough because he had a lot of hesitations for dating someone a lot younger. Right. We were really good friends. You know, that was going to change our social circle, which it did. We worked together. So I had no hesitations. I was all in. I was ready to go. (laughs) But he had a lot of hesitations. I do not think that he would have ultimately entered in to our romantic relationship if he wasn't, you know, three quarters of the way there. And so we, the night that we admitted we had feelings for each other, it was that, like, from that night on, I knew we were going to get married. Our dating relationship was not perfect. I actually feel like our marriage is a lot better than our dating relationship was and that is not how it should ever be I never give that advice to anyone it should not be that way (laughs) sure but um we just had yeah he made a movie the next year and and the movie years are hard and we just you know we kind of had to work out quite a few things in our relationship but we were super in love with each other the thing about Jeff and I that I knew even when we were just friends um and this is separate from the reasons that I fell in love with him which are many but our, even our friendship, even before our relationship, we are incredibly compatible. Even when we were just friends, we carpooled every day together. We would 
spend like an hour to two hours a day in the car together when when we were just friends. That's how we fell in love, actually. I guess I should have said that part. We carpooled from Hollywood to Santa Monica. We lived in the same neighborhood and we worked together at MTV in Santa Monica. And that's a a long commute. Mm -hmm. And so we would be in the car every day together for hours and you get to know a person. You do. That I actually didn't really know that part of the story. That's that's kind of a romantic comedy right there in and of itself. The oh, idea gosh. of falling I in have, love in the carpool lane. Oh, we would <laughs> argue in the car. We would like have to pull over, you know, and drive through and get food. We'd have to get, you know, I mean, like you if you're in the car together two hours a day, like a lot happens. We'd mm-hmm. have to take phone calls. We'd hear each other on the phone with our parents or our, you know, business, whatever. Yes. So like you just know each other so well. And that went on, the carpool thing went on for at least a year prior to us even dating. So like we just were very sort of in tune with each other, I guess, as friends. And also he was my boss. So friends and employee, employer. And so by the time that we um, admitted that we had romantic feelings, we were sort of further along, like down a a relationship path, uh-huh. and you ju- we just like in we just like sprinkled in the romantic part of it. That makes sense. Got it. Yeah. So that's our that's our love. And you did get married and had a beautiful, perfectly perfect for you, so chic, so dreamy wedding in Savannah. We got married in Savannah, Georgia. Jeff's parents lived there at the time. He had never lived there. We loved it as a city. And it's a very romantic city. And we were had by that time had really, really fallen in love with going to Savannah to visit his family. And so it was just the perfect destination spot. Plus, it's kind of one of those things where our friends were super happy to come to Savannah. Like, it's a right. great place to go for the weekend. Very, very romantic. We had a beautiful outdoor wedding with a reception in an old, gorgeous museum. It was, I I have no regrets or anything about my actual wedding day. I've had a lot of friends who got married when they were young sort of feel like, oh, I wish I hadn't spent so much money or I wish maybe I had put more effort into it or I, you know, my style is so different, blah, blah, blah. I don't feel that way. And I think it's possibly because we were not super, super young. Jeff definitely wasn't super young. And, you know, we we had a beautiful wedding day. And another thing was I am a very anxious person. I can get really nervous and overwhelmed and get hives and, you know, a lot of things. On my wedding day, I was as calm as I've ever been in my entire life. I was calm as if I was drugged, and I was not. Wow, I love that. I I was just completely peaceful. Right. Just sure you were where you were supposed to be doing what you were supposed to be doing. I've never been so sure as on that day. Oh, I and when it. I when I think back on my wedding day and, you know, I can think of all the pretty things or whatever. That's nice. But that's not I just remember, like, I just was so at peace in myself. 
That's so great. Well, I unfortunately had to miss this beautiful Savannah affair because when you all got married, I had like a two-week-old baby. It was just right after AJ was born. So I did not get to go to that, but you got to experience my wedding and all of its (laughs) small town um, glory. It was a very, very typical small town Oklahoma wedding. It was a Saturday afternoon at two o'clock. We had a cake and punch reception in the fellowship hall afterwards. I mean, it was just very, very typical um, small Oklahoma wedding. It was wonderful. I loved it. And um, because we got married in in uh, my hometown and we had so many friends from college who were close by, like just tons and tons and tons of our friends came. And so that was really fun. I do. I mean, we were, it was three days before my 21st birthday. So we were very young and I am definitely one of those looking back. Like if I had been a little older, if we had had a bigger budget to work with, I definitely would have made some different choices. I don't know that I would say I have any regrets. It was a beautiful day. Um, and one that we look back on with a lot of fondness for sure, but it was just very cute and hometown. (laughs) I thought it was so beautiful. It was one of the first weddings where I was a bridesmaid. That's right, yeah. I got married again at 28, so I was a bridesmaid a lot of times (laughs) in those years. And that was one of my first weddings, and I just thought it was so beautiful and sweet. And you guys were so obviously in love. Yes, yeah, that's true. We we had a, um, a beautiful day. And it was, you know, the great thing, too, I also felt, I remember just feeling so peaceful and just just so un unrushed and I just I don't know I just enjoyed the whole day as it played out we didn't have any crazy things happen everything every single detail went completely according to plan and everything turned out wonderfully I will say then that on our wedding night we had driven up here to Oklahoma City we were going to spend the night here and then fly out for our honeymoon on our wedding night there was a tornado here in Oklahoma City so we were driving from where we had eaten dinner back to our hotel and we like looked out of the car windows and here was a tornado dropping down out of the sky that we could see so that was an exciting way to start our marriage but I mean really we didn't have any crazy stories that happened uh with our wedding or anything like that but Laura I, I cannot you- believe that you're talking about your wedding night and a tornado <laughs> I mean truly it was a literal tornado <laughs> all the not jokes even, I'm not even speaking figuratively like if that really <laughs> happened <laughs> on our wedding night. Hey, but I think it was a good omen because here we are 18 years later and we have been making it all work since then. So, but I know you have a couple of stories from weddings that you were not in, but you just experienced that ended up being really crazy wedding stories. So one of my best friends in the world, Lindsay Lawler, she's a country singer and she lives in Nashville now, but in 2007, I was a bridesmaid in her Texas wedding. Mm -hmm. And moments before we were to walk down the aisle at her outdoor wedding ceremony, the skies opened up and it started pouring. I mean, not raining, Megan, like pouring monsooning. Oh no. Like a Texas torrential rain. Like a flash flood, (gasps) like a literal flash flood. Oh no. And so at first, all the guests who were seated in their lovely outdoor white, you know, wedding chairs, like jump up and start running. We're talking, you know, several hundred people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kind of running for cover. And so you see like, 
you know, people are like slipping in the mud and falling down. And then- oh my gosh, no. There, no. Were um- there were umbrellas, but it was really, it was, um, it was like panic crazy. So we all kind of make our way to under this sort of overhang thing, a lot of people. And Lindsay, who was going to arrive as the bride in a horse-drawn carriage, well, that horse comes like running down the hill. Oh, my gosh. With Lindsay in the carriage, soaked oh, in her wedding dress. What a nightmare. And she had a little uh, ring bearer. He was probably like four-ish, I think, a little boy. And he's in the in the carriage with her and they get there and they're trying to get out. I mean, it is, it is like pretty chaotic. Well, at that time, as they're, as they're getting out, lightning strikes, <gasps> not close to us, but it spooked the horse. Yes. And so the, the horse like rears up and takes off. Oh and gosh. so like Lindsay and the poor little ring bear, like kind of fall out of the carriage and everyone screams because, you know, the yes. wheels have easily gone over that child. Yes. People are freaking out. Because, of course, they were. (laughs) Of course. I'm freaking out just listening to it. Holy Moses. It was super crazy. Anyway, so the reception was supposed to be in this sort of indoor, like, barn type of thing. It was already decorated, looked beautiful. So even though that had been a a crazy few minutes, we all move into this reception area, and we're going to have the ceremony in there. Mm -hmm. We're crowded in, and there's a, a very cool picture of like everyone really crowded around the bride and groom. It was actually kind of a cool moment. And they had the ceremony. Mm-hmm. That was fine. Mm-hmm. Seconds after they say I do, basically, it we get the word that actually is a flash flood. So like <sighs> the road is flooding. Oh my gosh. So people cannot get to, they're not gonna be able to get out of where we are. So it starts to be like women and children only. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. So, like, make a go for it. So people are, like, scooping up these enormous centerpieces of flowers. Jeff and another friend of ours are, like, carrying this huge cake and trying to, like, crab walk down the stairs with this (laughs) crazy cake. And it was, I mean, it was, like, run for your life. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I just cannot imagine. Bless her beautiful heart. I cannot imagine. It was it was a it was hard. Like she even said to us, I'll actually never forget this because I think this is a good life lesson. We the bridesmaids, we kind of gathered around her to pray. This is before the ceremony actually took place. And um she was like, I don't want a single one of you to say to me that one day I'll think this is funny. This is my wedding day and I will never think this is funny. Oh gosh. That's and it. we were like, we wouldn't that's not coming out of our mouths. We're not saying that. Right. Now, what will redeem this story, because it's kind of, it was crazy, is that um, we moved to a third location <laughs> that was up in, like, higher ground. By that time, of course, you've lost, you know, more than half the guests. But mm-hmm. a big, huge group of us moved to this other place on the property. There was an open bar. We all looked like drowned rats. And we danced our hearts out for like hours and it ended up being and she will say this too she will admit this it ended up being one of the most fun wedding receptions i'd ever been to because all formality was out the window like everyone had shoes off which is gross i hate that and people had like nobody looked cute nobody right (laughs) but we had a great great time in spite of that crazy wedding And the second story was a year later, Jeff and I go to a wedding up on the cliffs, a little north of Los Angeles, a beautiful area overlooking the ocean, everything. There were a lot of friends. It was like about a five o'clock in the evening wedding. And um, about midway through dinner, 
find out that there has been terrible forest fires and the road is closed and no one can leave. <gasps> Another act of God at a wedding. Oh my gosh. <laughs> God hates weddings. Just kidding. Just <laughs> and so we, um, along with 200 friends and strangers, were stuck cliffside all night long. And there were um, old people who needed their medication, you know, who were stuck. There were breastfeeding moms who were very uncomfortable. Mm. There were people huddled under the table. We wrapped ourselves in tablecloths. We stayed there all night. You were you were like literally out in nature all night. Like, Megan, we were cliffside outside in nature. There's no place to go. It wasn't even like there was an option to go inside. The caterers, we ran out of food and they were just like giving us drinks and like condiments and whatever. (laughs) Drinks of ketchup. Like everybody stranded. The, you know, the caterers, the band, the what, you know, it wasn't just get. Like everybody is stuck on this hillside. Oh my gosh. Literally, I remember looking and seeing an older generation, a grandparent generation, all huddled together under the gifts table. Because it got very, very cold. Of course, you're up in the mountains and it's night and you're out. I had on a, I had on a really nice dress that I had bought for this occasion and I was super excited about it. And I'm like, I'm laying on the ground in a tablecloth. Oh my gosh. Ugh. Until 5 a.m. They, a bus came and got us at 5 a.m. So we were on that cliff from, you know, for 12 hours. Wow. That may be the wedding story to top all wedding stories. I would love to hear if anyone listening, any of you awesomes have a crazier story than that, but that is pretty intense for a Yeah, wedding. that's a lot. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, as we all know, the wedding is just the kickoff for the real deal, which is marriage. And we were talking a little bit before the show, some of the things that we have kind of learned as we have been making it through these years of marriage and and some of the things that are so different from what you think they're going to be. Maybe when you start out at the beginning, when you are at your wedding and um, you have one idea of what things are going to look like, and sometimes it turns out differently. So one thing that we were talking about, Laura, is how on last week's episode, when I was talking with Kelly, we talked a little bit, or I even said that one of the things that I've learned at this point in my life is that everyone is lonely. All of us struggle with loneliness. And and Laura, you noticed how I even kind of applied that in marriage. And that's really true. I mean, I, I, I'm glad that I have learned it now. It's, it's interesting because Kyle and I in our marriage, for the first 10 years of our marriage, he was a college football coach. I've mentioned that several times on the show, but that meant that I was not just lonely. I mean, I was actually alone for long time long moments in time because he spent so much time at the football field or at the football office or traveling or for recruiting, those kinds of things. So for the first like decade of our marriage, I struggled with loneliness, but I really thought it was just because um, I was alone <laughs> a lot. <laughs> but then when he changed careers and, and began to work in financial advising, we went from that where he was hardly ever home to a job where his office was like two minutes away and he was home for lunch and he was home by five every night. And I kind of started to realize like he's here like all the time now and I still have all of this, you know, all of these lonely feelings. Now, I don't want anyone to have any concern for me like I <laughs> 
I don't think it's an abnormal amount of loneliness, but I think that I definitely just crave something, some kind of connection so often that it could be really easy to expect other people to kind of step in and fill that void or fill that need, try to solve the problem of my loneliness. And now at this point in my life, as I'm moving towards my 40s, I really have just embraced the fact that that is not something that I that's not a burden that I want to put on anybody to try to fill and that all of us are kind of dealing with those lonely feelings in our own ways. So yeah, it's definitely made an impact on my marriage to come to that conclusion. I totally get all that. I also spend quite a bit of time alone and that my husband travels a lot for work. And so you can definitely feel lonely even when you're surrounded by people in a big city with a lot of friends even around a lot of family, you can still feel very alone, even in marriage. And I think maybe that maybe is more transparent now, but that used to be not a thing people talked about. So true. So much. Another thing that I have been surprised by a little bit in marriage is that my husband is not my best friend. Right. My husband is my husband. Mm-hmm. My best friend is my best friend. And earlier in our marriage, or maybe even when we were still dating, I'm not exactly sure when I learned this, but I I realized that putting all the expectations of a best friend on my husband was only going to disappoint Mm, me. mm -hmm. Yeah. My husband is not a big talker. Um, We don't necessarily have the same sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just my husband. Mm -hmm. Now he is my first call. He is the person I tell first about anything. He is the person I want to spend my time with more than anyone on planet earth. I love to spend time with my husband. We can spend whole weeks together and not bug one another, which I understand is pretty unusual in marriage. We don't, we don't bug each other. We don't get bored of one another. We love to be together. But he is not my best friend. Like I have a, a few best friends and they're my best friend. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's a different relationship. And I think when you tie up all your relationships into your spouse, that's only going to cause disappointment. I agree. And I know that that is a little bit of a controversial statement. And there are definitely people who... Um, Like they would be quick to say, my spouse is my best friend for sure. And I totally get that. I think that for me, I'm a lot more like you in that I have specific categories for people. Like my husband is my husband. And our relationship is so singular and so unlike anything else, Mm -hmm. unlike any relationship that I have, that it almost feels... um, I don't know. It just feels weird to think that I would kind of group him into these other categories that I have. Jeff is like my deepest, most important partner. Right. Yes. Yeah. There's nothing temporary about my relationship with Jeff. And not to say that I think of my friendships as temporary, but they are more as much as I love them and hope they're forever, there's always the option there that they might not be, I guess. Right. right. And that's just not true with my husband. So I feel like in some ways on my wedding day, 
I felt like I married my best friend because we had been very close friends before Mm -hmm. we dated and got married for years. We had been very close friends. So it's almost like I felt like I married my best friend. And then as our marriage grew into marriage, Mm, I realized like, oh, no, no, you're not my best friend anymore. Like I have best friends. You're my husband. Right. Totally. And when you were saying that, I realized that what I'm trying to say, too, is the same thing, that what Kyle and I have, what we share, it supersedes friendship, if that makes sense. Like, I don't want to dishonor the friendships that I have that are a huge part of my life. But it's what we have together is just it's beyond friendship. But it's not perfect. Nope. And it is hard work (laughs) for sure. For sure. It's hard work. I think that's maybe one of the surprises to me of marriage. Like you can like when you're younger and you hear people say, oh, marriage is a lot of work. Like you just don't even know what kind of work it's going to be. You can't imagine how getting to spend every day and every night of your life with the person that you're in love with would be work. But I think as time has gone on, and of course, every couple runs into problems and challenges and goes through grief and goes through great, wonderful things too, you begin to realize that the actual the actual work of marriage is that thing of choosing the same person day after day after day and being committed to working through the hard stuff and in the days when things are definite they're so far from perfect that you I think that's where the foreverness comes mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. this is speaking in general about people in a mostly healthy marriage and in most mostly healthy mind space but the foreverness can be like oh my gosh this is forever <laughs> can <laughs> can be a drag or it can be amazing. And, and at times it it can be both. But one of the things that I learned in marriage, I didn't realize I was pretty conditioned to a thought pattern of, I don't want to bother him with this. Uh, Yes. So I don't want to tell him this thing that's annoying me. I I don't want him to know that I'm feeling grumpy about this thing or whatever. You know, I just don't want to bug him with this. It took so many years and we've only been married eight but it took multiple years and multiple circumstances for me to learn to trust that I could tell him even stupid stuff and he wasn't going to be like, you're a stupid head. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like yeah. That he wasn't going to leave or think less of me or, I mean, it took me years into actually already being married mm-hmm. to realize like, oh, no, wait, this is, this is for like, he and I are both approaching this as it's forever, mm-hmm. as opposed to I was a little bit worried in the beginning of like, if I messed up or if I showed him too much of my crazy, it would be over. Yeah. Because that's how it is in relationships when mm-hmm. you're dating. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. But when you're married, hopefully that is not an on, and you know, that's not an option on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that is one of the huge lessons of, of having that committed relationship over time. Is it as a partner, you need to be let in on the even the little annoyances of life, um, as well as the great things that are happening. So it's good stuff. I don't really talk about marriage stuff very often. It's a little tricky because, of course, we are cognizant of the fact that we have people who are listening who are in all stages of life and maybe have great feelings about marriage, or some people might have really terrible feelings about it. So it's not something we've really talked about, but it seemed like it would be a good fit for this show to give you a peek behind the curtain of our lives a little bit in this area. So we would love to hear from you all on this topic of love, first loves, lifetime loves, crazy wedding stories, all of those things. We would love to hear from you on social media. Laura, remind us where we can find you all around the web. 
You can always find me at hollywoodhousewife.com. There you can sign up for my secret posts. That is a once a month newsletter where I send out all of the best things I'm reading, thinking about. I link to some great stuff and always have some fashion and beauty in there too. Those are the secret posts. You can also find me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram as Hollywood H Wife and on Facebook as The Hollywood Housewife. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. Don't forget the show is on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. And you can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at SortaAwesomeShow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at PragerMusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.